Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden, and today I'm talking to a leading investor in investment trusts, Peter Hewitt, who is manager of the BMO Managed Portfolio Trust. Hello, Peter. Lovely to see you. Gavin, glad to be here. Okay. Now, I've been looking forward to, to uh, picking your brains, Peter, because obviously it's been a very uh, difficult year so far for investors. The FTSE All Share is only down 5%, but that masks bigger falls elsewhere, obviously, within the UK and, and, and globally. Um, so I'm really interested to know how you respond to the difficult conditions we've had. But um, tell us a bit more about um, the Managed Portfolio Trust, because it's a bit of a two-for-one proposition, isn't it? It is. We've got, it's a conventional investment trust, but it has two separate portfolios. One of them is a growth portfolio, doesn't pay any dividends, focus solely on capital growth. And the other one is an income portfolio, which has got about a 5% dividend yield. We'd like to grow the capital too, um, but obviously it's more of a total return vehicle. And they have a, the only link they have is the revenue from the growth portfolio, which is not much because it only yields about one, gets transferred over to the income portfolio, gives its, its income a little boost. And at the same time, the same amount gets transferred back from income to growth, but it's called capital. So it gives the capital NEV a small boost. It's 1% over the course of 12 months. You would never notice it. But it certainly helped the income portfolio over the years. I've never had to chase income to very high-yielding investment trusts, which may actually be quite risky. At the moment, there's, uh, as we may uh, go on to discuss, there's uh, lots of uh, trusts on, on good yields at the moment because of the, the falls in share prices. But, yeah, so two, two portfolios in one, um, both investing in investment trusts, though. All in investment trusts. Okay, yeah. which is why I'm so keen to talk to you. So I get the impression from you know looking at you know, the top ten holdings on, on the fact sheets and comparing um, the position with the end of November, which is described in the half year results. I get the impression you know you don't chop and change too much. You know the the the, the trusts go up and down in the top, in the rankings, but um, you, you you hold uh, long term positions in in many of your trusts. Is that right? You are right, Gavin. I try and do that. And um, certainly up until uh, the end of calendar 2021, our turnover was very small indeed. I mean, it was between 5 and 10% a year for the previous three years. And it was very firmly had a growth bias would be the theme. Um, However, I did quite a lot of changes um, just before Christmas and particularly in January. Um, And that was really a response to what was going on in the outside world. Inflation suddenly moved from being transitory, if you can remember that, when the central bankers were telling us it would go away quite soon. And it didn't. And so from November onwards, we've had a a growth sell-off. You know, the world's got very scared about inflation, as you're saying. Big time. And and you are spot on there. And, And, you know, inflation has been more sustained, is rising. Bank of England, first mover, slightly increased rates just before Christmas. Since then, you see the Federal Reserve in the US (coughs) and Bank of England here and probably the ECB in Europe. So all of that has meant for the first time for actually quite a number of years within markets, within equity markets, on Wall Street, London, across the board, big change in leadership from kind of growth-based companies, particularly the technology sector, names we all know and love, 
Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, et al., to more kind of old economy, mature industries. You see what's been happening to the oil price. The oil company's done well. Mining companies, tobacco companies, very cheap, viewed as defensive. And that defensive appeal has been heightened by the, the war in Ukraine, obviously. Massively so. And also now a potential recession. Potential, we don't know, but I suspect... Caused by the inflation. Caused by... And what's happening with interest rates. Because it's a very lagging indicator. Rates are increased now, but don't really bite for 12 to 18 months, which will be next year. And that's why I think it wouldn't surprise me if we did dip into a recession um, next year. But in terms of markets... Hugely positive for the UK, which doesn't have much in the way of technology stocks or biotech or anything like, but lots of old economy. This rotation to value has been uh, exactly beneficial for the relatively speaking for the UK yes. stock market. And even within the UK, the FTSE 100 index, which you mentioned there, is now slightly down calendar year to date, but hardly. Almost all other markets are off. I mean, the Nasdaq's down more than 30% in America. So that's the US technology index. The US technology. But the mid-250 index here, which really is where most of the UK's growth companies reside, that's down more than 20%. And small cap index is down a lot too. The investment company's sector index is also down 21, 22%. And investment trust uh, discounts, their shares, uh, 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 the gap between the, the share prices and the net asset values, the NAV that you mentioned earlier on, uh, has widened. It's about it, 8, 9%. It, it, you're spot on. And, and that's, it had been in the sort of two to four region for a number of years. It's quite a derating, isn't it? Yeah, because actually right. for a long time, you know, stock markets have been <laughs> troubled you know, and volatile for, for a good few years now, um, certainly through the pandemic. And, but for, you know, even during the pandemic crash, you could see that um, a lot of investment companies were kind of keeping their, 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 share, their share price ratings, weren't they? It looked like investors weren't yeah. panicking. But this seems, do you think, yeah, do you think the mood has changed? Yeah, yeah almost definitely. And, um, and, and behind that move, it's been mainly equity trusts. And what it tells you is, I think, I don't know what portion, but let's say three quarters of equity trusts have a growth bias to their investment style. And that worked for years and years, and years, but now it's suddenly not working. And so that's been behind the ballooning out of discounts in, in really across quite a number of sectors. Well, before um, we get into kind of you know, the nitty gritty of how you're responding and yeah, you, you, some, some of the individual decisions you're making around uh, your trust holdings, just um, generally looking at your portfolios, both, they've got about 40 holdings. You hold about 40 investment trusts in each. Um, is that the best number for from a diversification point of view, or is it just about mainly not, you know, making sure your individual positions don't get too big? You generally hold between 1% and 5%. Yes, uh, the, the, e indeed. I don't really, once you get to kind of 5 or 6% in one trust, I think that's enough. We do want an element of diversity, but not proliferation. So... I mean, at the moment, the growth portfolio is I don't know, it's 42 or 43. The income is 37, 38. It's just that seems to be a number I can get my mind around. I think it also means that individual holdings can make a difference if they really perform strongly. You don't want a whole series of 0 0.2, 0 0.3 positions. A long positions, tail that you, you lose track of, frankly. Yeah, you do. Yeah. So, um, so that's been the style. But in terms of activity... 
I did do a lot of activity in January, and it's just, I felt, if you looked at the top ten then, it had names like Scottish Mortgage, Alliance Technology, Polar Cap Technology, Monks, oh, Impacts Environmental, a whole series of technology-orientated trusts, which had performed really well. Really well. I mean, that growth portfolio beat the all-share nine consecutive years. Until sadly this year. So what um, was going on? So you so you you saw what was happening in November. Markets rotating really quite quickly, and um, you decide to respond to that correction, and you start selling down some of these you, I growth did. trusts. And and they were had you know taking profits and yeah. really quite substantial profits, and so I'm, I in my mind I didn't want to come out of these trusts completely because you know. If you take Scottish Mortgage, the biggest one everyone knows and loves, it's got some wonderful growth companies. Now, they may, in hindsight, have been overvalued. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But if you genuinely adhere to a five- or ten-year view, and I like to present this as a long-term savings vehicle for individuals, then it's trusts like Scottish Mortgage that, in the long run, will deliver. Having said that, I acknowledged things had changed. So I did take between a third and a half out of all these trusts that uh, you know, I've mentioned, and more. Um, and so I did that. And so in the case of Scottish Mortgage, which was about £15 at the end of November, it's currently about £7. So it's halved. So how do you feel about the way it's amazing, you know, historic pandemic gains that it achieved during uh, lockdown and then 2020? How do you feel about the way those gains have, have more or less unwound now? Do you feel a bit less bad because you actually reduced the position? Um, but nevertheless, it's, the, it's, it's halved since November. It has, and the, absolutely. And I, I, think, I think the underlying companies, in the main, carry a lot of potential, potential growth in the long run. But I think the compression of valuations with what's been happening with inflation and interest rates has been substantial. Give you an example, um, Gavin. Microsoft, which is a company everybody knows and loves, it's been a fantastic performer. Microsoft, this time last year, was on a forward PE of 35 times. PE being price to earnings. Price to earnings ratio. Now, it's growing at roughly 15%, its profits and earnings, which for a huge company is a fantastic rate of growth. It's got some wonderful products and services. Today, that 35 times forward price earnings ratio is now 22. So that's come back a lot. I'm not saying 22 is the bottom, but it's a heck of a lot nearer um, where it will eventually stabilise. And so I did feel in December, January, it's time to lock in some profits. So I did that and sold these investment companies that we've talked about. But I did know I did not want to come out of them completely because these are the secular growth investment companies that will deliver multiple times your money. I'll give you another example. Um, Alliance Technology Trust, which I bought when we listed in May of 2008, and I've never bought it since, put the shares in then. At the end of November was 12 Twelve and a half times what I paid for it. Incredible. So it's come back a long way in the last six months, but it's still eight times 
The book, the book cost is 25 pence, and, and it's about two pounds a share. Now, what's interesting about both Scottish Mortgage and Alliance Technology, you know, two big holdings that you, you had, and you've still got them, as you're saying, um, but there have been changes in fund managers with both. Obviously, James Anderson has recently retired from Scottish Mortgage. Um, he was the guy, he was the, he was the architect of its kind of, you know, re- rebirth as a, as a global growth trust at the beginning of the century. Um, yeah, does, um, has his departure... Is it a bigger loss to in, than investors perhaps realised? Well, it's of course it's a loss. James was, as you say, he was the architect of it, and he was a, he's a brilliant fund manager. But the chap who's now running it, Tom Slater, has been doing that with James for probably a decade. And if anything, he knew the companies at least as well, if not more, than than James. So I am quite relaxed in that respect. Also. Bailey Gifford, the fund management company, have got a lot of resource, and um, particularly in the technology and, and private company area. So I'm relatively relaxed about that. In the case of Alliance Technology, they too had a long-standing fund manager, name of Walter Price, who is retiring this summer, and his main colleague, by a Chinese name by the name of Hua Chen Chen, is also retiring. So that kind of is a bit of a question mark. But the fellow who's now running it, Mike Seidenberg, again, like Tom Slater, has been doing this for about a decade. So it's not like he's wet under the... He knows these companies extremely well. So you're quite confident about the the, the handover that's going on here. What about... I mean, both of them will say, you know, they're they're still very committed to their investment approach and the fundamentals of the companies that that they're investing in. But um, uh, the conditions have become a lot more difficult with uh, rising interest rates and rising inflation. Do you think that, you know, can Scottish mortgage, for example, can it return to the way it was performing in the past? Or is the macro environment going to be depressing some of those great gains that we've had in the past? I think it undoubtedly has done, and it probably will continue to do for a while yet. Not indefinitely. Um, but I think uh, now, I think I used the phrase in uh, my annual report I've just been writing, that it probably is too late to sell Scottish mortgage. Uh, it's gone from £15 to 7 It might go lower. Um, and that's less to do with the underlying portfolio, just a compression of valuations of these highly rated growth stocks that we mentioned earlier. But there'll come a time when that stabilises. And I'm not quite sure when that will be. I don't think it'll be next week or next month. But you don't want to miss it. You don't want to cut any more and well, miss the it, rebound. Once you, if you come out of these, these trusts entirely, suddenly things can change, just as they, they did back in November, and they're up 40 or 50% and you're not there. And so I've decided to hold more modest holdings in all of these names that we've been talking about. And instead, I've redeployed some of the proceeds, most of the proceeds, into UK equity trusts. Because I think the UK equity market's looking reasonably attractive. OK, before we move on to those, I'm just wondering, you know, are you frustrated that, you know, the likes of Scottish Mortgage couldn't do more to kind of, I don't know, be a bit more defensive as things got more and more expensive? Or is that your job and that is that investor's job to kind of, you know, take profits when... Um, and get out when it, the, the going's getting too good? Yes, I think the latter. 
I think if you saw Scottish Mortgage, you, you know, going heavily into cash or bonds or, or some very defensive investments, that's really what the fund managers should be doing. Or if it's an individual, they should be doing that with their portfolio. What you want to buy is an investment company focused on some really exciting long-term growth companies. And I think it's trying to to stick with that. Okay. Now, you mentioned defensive trusts. I'm quite key. I've seen that, you know, within yeah. the top 10, the likes of, you know, well-known uh, capital preservation funds like Ruffer and Personal Assets, they're now uh, um, higher up in your portfolio. Is that because you put more money into them, you know, around about the time in, you know, earlier this year when you were cutting back on the growth side, were you putting more money into them or, or have they just gone up in value because everything else has fallen? Well, yes, you, you, I mean, you're right, Gavin. All, all through this uh, last almost decade, actually, um, I've had a kind of sub-portfolio, I call them portfolio protectors, within the growth portfolio just to offset um, if you had a dip in markets, um, give you a bit of a cushion against the index. Names like personal assets, the rougher investment company, capital gearing. Um, Do you hold that? I, I hold that. Um, the Rothschild Trust, RIT Capital Partners, and actually in some sense is the best lot, the, the Brevin Howard Macro Fund. And all five of these are now in my top ten. And they've got there under their own steam. It's not because I've put additional funds in there. I've got roughly, I've got about 7% cash, and about 20, 21% in cash and, you might say, very defensive companies. Actually, the Brevenard Macro Fund is quite interesting. When markets get quite volatile and fall, it doesn't just hold its value. It actually goes up. It's a proper hedge fund, isn't it? it the other is. ones are very defensive. They only have a proportion of their investments in equities. The rest are in inflation-linked bonds or yeah. gold. Am I right? Yep. You know, the kind of a multi-asset approach yes, to, yes. To, to avoid um, permanent losses in capital. Um, but, yeah, the Brevin Howard, uh, BH Macro, uh, it's trading in uh, derivatives and bonds and currencies. Yes. Help me out here. What's it actually doing? Do you know? Well, that's a, a very good point, um, Gavin. I'd like to say there's a 50-page there's a um, paper coming out on the BH Macro trading strategy. And what but it, it does? It, it, essentially, just think of it as it's focused on interest rates and foreign exchange, and it exploits what it sees as opportunities. And that is helped when things are volatile. For quite a lot of the last decade, it's gone sideways. There's not been a lot of volatility with exchange rates and interest rates. Well, they got cut at the great finance, and they've stayed really low across the... It just did not have a lot of... It didn't look very impressive until the pandemic came along, and then suddenly it was shooting the lights out, like you're saying. It's kind of, yes. you know, where the market's falling, it's going up. Yes. So it was yes. really catching attention. It's interesting, isn't it, because... Um, there's a kind of uh, always a, a, a debate around fees. And mm. um, before the pandemic, the, the boards, there were two uh, Brevin Howard funds, and the boards of both had got the fund manager to cut the fees because the performance hadn't been very good. And then it shoots the lights out in, uh, yeah. in 2020, and um, the fund manager demands a big increase or to have to have the fees restored. And what's more, it got through a shareholder vote. And I think what that told you was it's, the, it's unique. It's the only trust that does this. Um, I mean, the other ones we've talked about are defensive. They'll hold their value in a bear market, which is great. But the Brevin Howard Macrofund actually does. It's up 25% in 
the share price in the last year. It's my best performer. So because of that, I think they, they, they managed to get through their increase in fees um, because despite the increased fees, they've still done pretty well. Um, so it's one I like, and I've got, as I say, about a fifth of the portfolio in these types of vehicles, which will be quite defensive in difficult markets, which is where we are presently. Absolutely. And so um, you, you mentioned UK equity. You know, moving, you know, where's the opportunity that you saw in, in, in uh, UK equity? Well, at the bottom end of my portfolio, do you know I bought no new holdings? But when I mention Fidelity Special Values, Law Debenture, the Aurora Trust, Henderson Opportunities... So these are all kind of, I mean, they're very different, and they've got their differences, but there is a value approach in common, I think, there. You are spot on. They all have a value bias, and that's really what I wanted. Um, I've held them, in all cases, for at least the last five years, but I have actually actively built up the positions. I mean, Fidelity Special Value is now my second biggest holding, and Law Debenture is managed by Alex third. Wright. That's managed by Alex Wright, Law Debenture by James Henderson and, and Laura Fall. And they have a, a definite value bias. Um, and I think what has been slightly disappointing is within the UK market, I mean, the UK market is, because it's so concentrated in a few really big stocks, and those stocks, which have for years underperformed, are now suddenly, because oils and miners and tobaccos, as we mentioned, these have been the stocks that have done really well. So the index is beating almost all the other fund managers. Yes, uh, some of these uh, stocks I mentioned are in the trusts I've bought, but they've also got a lot of mid and small cap. They see good value, good potential, but they've not performed as yet. And so uh, they've done okay, but they've not done perhaps as well as you might think. Yes. Now, um, well, we'll have to um, wait and see, perhaps. Another area that hasn't done as well as it might have done or seems to be a perpetual bargain area is private equity. Um, you've got um, prominent holdings in, in two of the private equity investment trusts, HG Capital, uh, I think in the growth portfolio, and then NB Private Equity, um, which pays um, quite a good dividend. So that's in the income one. Um, you know, it's a sector with virtually all the investment companies trading on wide discounts, despite pretty good performance records, um, although they had a horrible time in the financial crisis of 2008, um, some of them. Um, are those two your favourites, and, and, and why? I mean, I like them both, is, is, is the answer. And I like private equity trusts. And it's interesting, if you just stand back... Most private equity trusts, and these two in particular, but others as well, you know, despite the higher fees, and we all would like lower fees, and I always mention fees to them, um, but they do charge higher fees. Despite all that, they have trounced the all-share index over the long term. It's a great place for an individual to have part of the portfolio. Um, now, discounts have widened hugely at the moment, and I think... Part of the reason is the market saying we don't know where the asset value is going for the rest of this year. So a 40% discount that you mentioned NB private equity is on. It's a huge discount. It's isn't a it? huge and, and discount. And 20, 30% are common throughout the sector. Are common. And, but that might actually, if the NAV falls substantially later this year, that 40 discount might actually only be a 25 discount. 
Should we explain to, to some of the listeners what, what's, what's going on there? Because it's private equity, so it's investing in unquoted companies. You know, yes. By definition, they're not listed on uh, public stock exchanges. So the valuation isn't being tested you know, by trading every day. So there's a kind of a lag, isn't there? Of at least three months, sometimes six months, yes. of uh, getting valuations on what they're invested in. Yes. And yes. so at the moment, with public stock markets falling off a cliff and recession risk you know, looming, um, people are saying, well, we think the valuations of what they're holding is going to be falling. Mm. The that, funny thing is, all the news coming out from these investment okay. companies <laughs> is the opposite. It's quite good. I mean, that's the thing. And a lot of the trusts now, their underlying um, holdings, unlisted private companies, will probably be either at 31st December or 31st March valuations, beginning to show some of the falls, but maybe not wholly. Um, and you're right, because of you know acquisitions and mergers that are going on in the unlisted space, they are still making. I mean, HG Capital's NAV went up recently. Um, you know, one of its holdings got acquired, and that's been happening in a number of these companies. But often they are valued by reference to an equivalent publicly listed company, and so I would expect valuations or NAVs. To, to fall later this year. But you're suggesting there's quite a cushion there. If you're yes. trading 40% below your asset value, yes, even yes. if there's a you know 20% write-down on the entire portfolio, which would be a, a big one, yeah. um, you're still, it's still 20% Well, listen, Gavin, two things. Below where it should be. Uh, all I would say is, you know, if you've got a longer-term view, now is not a bad time. Just as we said with Scottish Mortgage, to, to tiptoe into it. Um, and that sort of discount is quite a cushion. Um, and remember, they do perform in the long run. So I am certainly not selling them. No. What about Chrysalis, though? That's not quite the same category of the private equity, um, HG Capital, uh, NV private equity we've just been talking about. It's more sort of growth capital, investing in companies that are preparing to float on the stock exchange at some time. Um, was, you know, Launched three or four years ago. Yes. Got off to a actually got off to a quiet start, but then did really well during the pandemic because of the technology surge. Um, but it's had a it's had a t- tough year. It has, and it's had a, m- a massive discount, and its NAV has come back quite a bit. Um, one of its biggest holdings, Klarna, one of these buy now pay later companies. Um, was valued by reference to a listed competitor which had fallen massively in the US called Affirm. And so um, the valuation that's held on has really come back quite sharply. It's still got some really interesting companies in there. Biggest holding is Starling Bank, which probably is the premier kind of new digital um, bank which offers a number of services. It's performing very strongly. Um, and it's got two or three other quite large private companies that have been going a while that are doing well. Its listed holdings have not done so well, and they've been affected with the stock market fall in these types of companies. It's on a huge discount. And also, they had this monster performance fee, which um, you know I don't think anybody at the time would ever have thought they could have achieved, but they did, because the NEV absolutely exploded on the upside 12 months ago. Of course, it's come back quite sharply now, and uh, in a sense... Was that a badly structured performance fee? They are quite contentious performance fee, because some investors argue, why can't it all be paid, you know, can't I just 
can't they just take an annual management fee? And if the performance does well, you know, we all do well. Yes, I think, I mean, I'm not against performance fees, Gavin, but I do like to see a cap, and that was uncapped. And, um, and the problem is, you know, Klarna, a big write-down in Klarna and some of these other holdings. Of course. You know, so last year, you know, unrealised gains are doing very well, and they pocket a big fee, but now those gains have unwound, and they've still got their fee. And I think that's reflected in... Um, you know, the discount, which is the market saying we don't really like this very much. And I think they've got to um, acknowledge that. Now, the board have taken one or two positive steps. They're appointing an independent valuer for each one of the holdings. So you know you're going to get a proper valuation for, for, you know, from, from Chrysalis going forward. I still think there's some exciting companies in there. But I have to say, you know, that performance fee and also you know, a retracement in the asset value to some extent from from what's happened with Klarna has impacted the discount. Um, I'm a holder at the moment, but it is one that's on the watch list. Okay, well, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's um, an interesting portfolio, but that fee does, um, has yeah. uh, uh, annoyed a lot of people, I know. Um, we haven't talked an awful lot, we're pretty close to our time, but we haven't talked an awful lot about sort of uh, the income opportunities. You know, mentioned the fact that stock market falls, means share prices fall, uh, means yields go up. So, um, yeah, have you been... Um, uh, analysts at Stiefel uh, earlier this month were saying there were 25 equity trusts, so ignoring the um, sort of ones investing in alternative assets, um, non-equities, um, the 25 of them were yielding over 4%. So, you know, it is a, a good market in a way for income investors yes and dividends have been coming through and if you think back to what we've been chatting about companies like shell and the mining i've been paying out big dividends having in some cases cut dividends a couple of years ago they're coming back with a vengeance because they're they're doing very well tobacco companies huge yields telecom companies as well and that's benefited some a few uk equity income trusts that are, have their portfolios mainly focused in the FTSE 100. And I have added to some of them, City of London being one, Temple Bar being another, and they are, they've got a value bias to their investment approach, and they've got quite good dividends um, c- coming through as well. So those are, t- and also I have I've added to the likes of Murray International. It's been a long-term holding, fantastic trust there. So Bruce Stout, a real, uh, yeah. Classic uh, income favourite. He is a classic, a classic value investor. He stuck to his guns. It was unpopular for a while. It never missed a beat on its dividend. So credit to, to, to the board and to Bruce in particular. And now it's, it's delivering some quite strong capital performance. So I've added to that one. And um, I've added to another one called Henderson International Income, which is similar but slightly different, but a definite value bias to it as well. I'd encourage people to have a look at that. That's got a good dividend over 4%, growing strongly. So that's exactly what you want in an income portfolio, a bit of capital growth. And it's reflected. We've just announced our final dividend or dividend for the year was up nearly 7.5% for the income portfolio. It's now yielding five and a quarter. And that's because of this um, these kind of investments. It has. Maybe we should finish off. Um, that's really interesting. Maybe we should finish off though. We t- uh, on a quick touch on renewables, because uh, again, a good area for for income and a, a good area for performance this year because of the 
links to inflation that uh, these funds have when they're selling their energy and because you know energy prices power prices uh, have been rising obviously well, well absolutely in the renewables the index linking i think is very attractive to investors now and they have got decent dividend yields typically four and a half five percent which are growing um, I mean, even the capital performance has been quite strong because the element of their uh, revenue that's linked to power prices um, has gone up quite a lot because we all know what's happened to energy costs. Some of the more specialist property companies, I've got supermarket income REIT, I've got um, Impact Healthcare, which is a specialist healthcare REIT, I've got Ashura, which owns... Um, uh, GP surgeries, and they're all index-linked, solid assets. And their you know, revenues are sort of government, Re indirectly government-backed, aren't they? Indirectly they are. Mm. And, so, and so they've done... Um, well, maybe, well, maybe not supermarket income, but uh, well, the others were. Yes, but you, uh, arguably Tesco and Sainsbury, we could have a long discussion as to whether they're better credit risk than, than the British government. But however, they, they've done extremely well. And, and that has added... Um, well from the income perspective, but actually a bit to capital performance too of the income portfolio. And on the renewables, I think uh, Renewables Infrastructure Group, TRIG, that's uh, yes. one of your holdings. Is that that's, the main one? Yes, and that has been a long-term holding of mine. And, um, and actually, I took a small position in a new issue last autumn I was going to ask called Atrato Roof Energy. But, Gavin, uh, hot off the press. On-site energy. Atrato on-site energy. Its ticker Excuse is called me. Roof. I its like ticker that is called Roof. And, but hot off the press, Gavin, mm. I can tell you, I've actually sold it. Oh. And I've now redeployed the proceeds into one that just had an issue which concluded yesterday okay. called the Downing Renewables Infrastructure ah, Trust. Ah, that's interesting. Okay, and the reason I sold Atrato, which is probably will be fine, but it sounded like their ability to get the equipment and contracts onto the roofs of offices and supermarkets uh, was, it was slowing much, it was happening in a much slower manner than they had thought themselves. And I thought, hmm. You just think they're going to be a bit slow in deploying the money they yes. raised? and they were also at about a 10 or 12% premium. So I did sell that. It went into the index, and I let the index buyers have my stock. And I took some shares in Downing. It's got a 5% dividend yield growing nicely, and it's got solar interests, got wind interests, but half of it is hydro in Sweden. So that's a bit different from Slightly some of the other different. renewable funds, which are very yes. much about so wind and yes. solar. Yes. And I think one of the interesting things is they own the hydro assets. None of the wind and solar companies actually own the assets. They lease them for normally about 25 years. So in theory, it's valueless at the end of the lease. Now, I'm sure they will be released but in the case of the hydro assets, that's a hard asset. So I think that's quite interesting. And it has the oh, same okay. type of dynamics as they own wind the and solar. It's not just a contract, it's an actual it is indeed. ownership. It is indeed. So, um, so I've got some shares in that. And I think that sounds interesting. Well, thanks very much for, um, for, 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 for breaking the news on that one, uh, Peter. And I think, yeah, that's all we've got time for. But uh, thanks very much for uh, uh, talking to me. And, and yeah, as I say, allow me to pick your brains on all these uh, uh, different individual situations as well as the overall um, your overall assessment of the market um, yeah. just before we go though we should, if, if people are interested in uh, the investment trust it is about to be changing its name um, 
because uh, BMO, the, uh, your, your, the fund management group you work for, was taken over by last Columbia year. Threadneedle. Right. And so rather than having the full name Columbia Threadneedle, we've changed the BMO yeah. acronym to CT. So we will become... I hope uh, you didn't employ too many expensive consultants on that one. I can assure you there, Gavin, there were no expensive consultants employed. So okay. the CT Managed Portfolio Trust. CT Managed Portfolio Trust. Will the ticker be changing, do you think? Yeah, it, it will actually. And you're now going to ask me what it is, and I can't tell you offhand. Well, look moment. out for the announcement on that yes. one. But uh, yeah, if you're going to be... Uh, if you listen to this podcast uh, in, in July, uh, the BMO Managed Portfolio Trust may well be called... Uh, CT manageable failure, as Peter just said. Peter, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Pleasure, Gavin. Thank you.